Hello, Harry Potter friends. In light of the Thanksgiving holiday, we don't have a new episode for you this week. Chapter by Chapter will return next week, and we'll have a couple of fellow podcasters on as guests, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Today, we thought we'd share with you a bonus MuggleCast installment that has been exclusively available on our Patreon until now. This is part one of two of a favorite headcanons discussion that Laura put together. It's a really fun discussion on some wild ideas from the fandom over the years. We release two bonus MuggleCast installments every month on Patreon, and these bonus MuggleCast installments will also be available through the paid Apple Podcast subscription beginning in 2024. We can only do this show thanks to listener support, so thank you so much for helping us out. After listening to this, visit patreon.com slash MuggleCast and pledge to hear part two of our favorite headcanons discussion, as well as many, many more bonus MuggleCast installments. All right, enjoy. Welcome to our first bonus MuggleCast for the month of August. And as mentioned in the main show, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter headcanons this week. Uh, Before we get into that discussion, I wanted to share what a headcanon is for anyone who may not be familiar with the concept. And I wanted to actually share Miriam Webster's definition of headcanon because it delights me. Um, So the way they describe it is headcanon is a word used in film, television, comics, etc. for a fandom that refers to something a fan imagines about the characters, such as a scenario or relationship, but that doesn't appear on screen or on the page. An example might be In my headcanon, Jar Jar Binks is the ultimate villain who orchestrated the downfall of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. You can't just throw out that (laughs) headcanon. Good example, though. And I will say some headcanons are silly, right? We've definitely talked about some sillier headcanons on the show. I think one of the more recent ones we've leaned into is this idea of Dumbledore really sitting back and just loving to observe the mess. <laughs> I mean, that's not headcanon. That's just accurate. I mean, there's no evidence to disprove that. <laughs> it, it, there's there's really not, but I think that we have leaned into it in a way that maybe isn't but the actual intent of the author at the same time. To your point, there's no disproving it. So I still love it. Um, I thought we could focus on some events that are maybe a little more ambiguous, things that could have happened sort of off screen in the books, behind the scenes, that wouldn't necessarily disrupt the canon flow Mm. of the series. We just never got to see them um, because we're seeing everything from Harry's perspective. And I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Potter's head cannons over at Tumblr, as well as um, this Reddit post. Uh, what are your head cannons uh, on the r slash Harry Potter subreddit? Um, first one I want to chat about this one is like it, it's heartbreaking, but also heartwarming. Harry stood in as a father figure for Teddy Lupin, given their shared experiences of growing up orphaned. And Harry and Teddy see the same thing 
in the mirror of Erised. They see themselves surrounded by their families. Way to tear my heart out. You didn't tell me some of these headcanons could be sad, Laura. I feel oh, like most of them in are the sad. whole lead up, you didn't say these could make us cry. I mean, most headcanons yeah. are sad. Bring your tissues. I don't know if you if y'all are on uh, headcanon uh TikTok for Harry Potter. Oh. Uh, I get these all the time. And it's people setting their head cannons to like the swipe mode uh, to that Nick Cave song from Deathly Hallows. Oh, Part oh One. children. Yes. Oh, children. And it, it, they're always I very loved sad. that song when it came out. Yeah. It, it's very yeah. good. I love that song too, but it's always super sad but- stuff like. George was never able to produce a Patronus uh, again uh, after oh, Fred God, died. God, like, no, uh, uh. <laughs> oh wow, this is getting. And this is how deep. you know Laura's a real Harry Potter fan, by the way. When when she's getting all this stuff in her TikTok, you know she wouldn't she wouldn't be fed all that unless she was a true Harry Potter fan. But she watches all that and TikToks like give her as much as we got because she loves this stuff. Yeah, honestly, my TikTok is all Harry Potter. Um, political stuff, <laughs> cute, cute animals, and murder. Oh wow, those are my four categories. You know, it's so funny. I was gonna, I was gonna call out our friend Julian, who uh, was on the show and uh, is really popular on TikTok. And I was gonna say, I guarantee, if I bring up the app, it's gonna show me him very quickly. Sure enough, first video is an- another one from him. Oh yeah, very good stuff. I'm sure you're getting to. No, he's definitely. Uh, uh, f- I mean, I follow him for starters, but his videos yeah. come up frequently in Ooh, my feed. So, uh, Justin on the Discord provided a headcanon <laughs> to us just now. Uh, it says, some headcanon, Voldemort and Bellatrix did it, okay, and had a kid who ends up causing problems at Hogwarts. Yeah, it's Well, one- that's just insane. It's one of those things you can't prove, so I guess it definitely <laughs> must fit into headcanon, you know? Mm. That's a twist worthy of Broadway. And the West End. And <laughs> Australia. And somewhere in Asia. Germany. Yeah, Canada. Yeah. Uh, so I do have a question, though. As we're going through these, if we do in fact feel compelled enough to declare them as canon, Ooh. do we have the Ooh. sound effect? Of course we do. Ready? Of course we do. It's ready I, to go. I really like this first one, though. And Harry is Teddy's godfather, right? That's canon. Yes. Or is it my head canon? No, it is. That is. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, yeah. This is one that, that just like makes sense. Not to get too deep here, but Lupin does end up saddling Harry with a lot of additional responsibility for a very yep. young person. Um, and maybe that's a discussion for another time. But I, I think... Harry would do right by Teddy, no question. I, I think Teddy has a really mm-hmm. great overall support system. Yeah. Not just with Harry, but certainly with the Weasleys and the other members of the order that that survived the war. Yeah, Agreed. I agree. Um, this next one is also maybe going to tug at your heartstrings a little bit, Eric. Uh, Draco's Bogart was Lucius. His Bogart was his Ooh. father. That's... Um... That definitely fits for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We we actually touched on that a week or two ago. Yeah. With mm. the, the daddy issues. Right. And we never actually see Draco's Bogart, right? So 
this is, I, I think, a prime example of where headcanon can insert something mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we just never get an answer. That's to exactly that in the books. yeah. What this is about is those little gaps for sure. Uh, yeah. This is a, a really popular headcanon that has been in existence for a, a long time. I remember. Uh, the online fandom space being really into this even before the books were finished. The idea of Charlie Weasley being asexual or aromantic um, and his true love really being the pursuit and the study of dragons. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This, uh, this I'm prepared to say I declare canon for this because uh, if you look at the sheer number of characters that are paired up in the books, uh, by the author, like the epilogue has like 50 more of them. You would never think like Hannah Abbott, like you would know who her partner is, uh, you know, like by, by the end of the books, Charlie Weasley, not so much. Um, and I believe when asked about it in an interview, a very young reader was like, you know, what's with Charlie and, uh, Rowling said he really likes dragons. Um, so yeah, I think that devoting his life to the pursuit and study of dragons is his passion. And uh, I fully support this uh, headcanon theory. It's It also does remind you of Newt, somebody who's very passionate yeah. about beasts. And of course, Newt does have feelings for Tina, but he's like awkward when it comes to like letting those feelings out. And I support the headcanon. But if he's not asexual, aromantic, you would think he actually is just really bashful like like Newt is. And independent. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. we heard Eric declare it, so. I. <laughs> there we go. We really do need to get each of us to record one of those. I'm okay with so it being that Andrew, you have though. Some but yeah. Oh, same. <laughs> same here, but I mean, that way, that way, if one of us declares canon, Andrew can play our sound effect. Yeah. And then if there ends that- up being a problem with it later, it can literally be, well, it was your fault. <laughs> Just um, yeah. <laughs> to be clear, because I see this coming up in the Discord, uh, Charlie to dragons is not the same as Aberforth to goats. Yes, no, that's, no, no, no. That's, that's really that's important. A different kind of relationship. Yeah, no. This this is pure academic passion for the subject of dragons. But apparently, Aberforth had a kid, so. And not like kid as in ghost kid. Like. Yeah. I mean, that was a headcanon too. I think we can chalk that up to headcanon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Would we Would we call all of Fantastic Beasts headcanon? No. A no, I don't accept canon? that. I, I call it canon. It's It might not be the best, but it's, it's canon. Yeah, for better or for worse, right? Um, this is one that I really liked. Again, we don't have anything to substantiate this, but we also don't have anything to say this couldn't have happened. Um, Lily knew about Remus being a werewolf before the Marauders did and gave him chocolate to help him feel better after after a particularly rough full moon. Remus thought of this years later when he gave Harry chocolate after encountering the Dementor on the train in Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh. I love that. I do too. You know, there's, I think when people are doing kind of exploration of the Marauders, there is kind of this trope in the way the Marauders era fics are written of Lily and Remus being friendly before she was friendly with the other Marauders. Mm -hmm. This kind of, 
I don't know if it's just their characters having some similarities, kind of both being outsiders and that Lily is muggle-born and Remus is a werewolf that kind of brings those characters together and has a rapport between them, even though Lily hates James and Sirius early on. (laughs) That's a a pretty common um, arc in a lot of Marauders era fics, I will say. It's bolstered by that added scene to the movie as well. Where Lupin's yeah. on the the bridge with Harry, right? And I mean, we know how much say J.K. Rowling had in decisions that were made in the movies. There were definitely things, especially in Prisoner of Azkaban, that Alfonso Cuarón wanted to do that she said no, that does not exist in this universe. So, if it wasn't, you know, somewhat in line with her imaginings of these characters' relationships. I feel like, yeah, I feel like she would have nixed it. You know, yeah. And and to that point, Eric, you know, those lines that Lupin delivers are suggestive, right? Well, it's like, oh yes, I knew Lily. She was there for me at a time. Dot dot dot. Yeah, and she had the um, ability to see things in others that they didn't see in themselves. Those lines actually were called out by the author as being hugely portentous to the future story that she was shocked when she saw them in the movie. And she's, you know, actually said that uh, in an interview. But of course, we know that it wasn't because Lupin and Lily had something together. It was because it foreshadowed so heavily the Snape relationship. Yeah. Um, that she saw so much in Snape and put so much time and effort into getting Snape to be a good guy and failed before failing. So it's interesting because in the movie, it's like Lupin delivering the line, but it's supposed to eventually pay off as Snape. Uh, This next one, I think we could see. Is insane. Uh, What? (laughs) This next one is insane. Yeah, It's, uh, it's, it's one of the sillier interpretations, but I think if you went down the rabbit hole with it, it could actually be kind of sad. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Norris is a- is actually Filch's wife, who was turned into a cat somehow and cannot get changed back. <laughs> Filch is a bitter old man. <laughs> she can't even get through it. Because I can't yes, even get it is. out. Because his wife is now a cat. JK, JKR cannot tell me otherwise. And the first time I read this one, I thought it said Filch is a better old man because his wife is now a cat. Like he's better for it. No, but, I'm not I mean, here for about, this one. If this is true, think about when she gets petrified in Chamber right, of Right, that's so sad. No, I, he's got other problems. It's, it's the squib being a squib at Hogwarts, like having to watch everybody else be a wizard. Like, that's the reason why he's all grumpy. It's it's not because Mrs. Felch was his wife. Yeah, I mean, we've I, seen I instances in Fantastic Beasts, right? With Nagini, where she is trapped. In, yeah. or will inevitably Dude, yeah, be trapped curse. in reptile form uh, <laughs> what, years later. What would Dumbledore think of that? Like, presumably Dumbledore would know. So he's just like, oh, yeah, bring your cat wife to school and just don't let anybody know about this because this is going to be a problem for people. Yeah, I mean, I I do not declare canon <laughs> on this one. I just thought that it could was be funny. your sound effect. I do not declare canon, and it's like <laughs> lightning bolt rewound. I do rewound. not. <laughs> the uh, the user here, I want to know because apparently they say that JKR cannot tell them otherwise. <laughs> yeah, why are they so convinced? 
Yeah, it is interesting. Um, Actually, Kyle in the Discord is pointing out this one goes in the same category as the Dursleys are abusive because of Horcrux, Harry. Mm. Because being around the Horcrux makes them that way. Obviously, there's evidence in the text of them being trash before Harry even gets there. So I wouldn't buy into that either. Um, This is one that I think Tyler would really like. I remember him talking about this (laughs) as a very passionate Slytherin when we chatted about this on the episode. Salazar Slytherin was not evil. Rather, his reputation is the result of a nasty political ploy brought about in order to discredit those opposed to the statute of secrecy. Those that were opposed to the statute of secrecy were Slytherins, whose main source of income uh, lied with advising nobility on how to manage whatever magical population they had to their advantage. This also marks the beginning of the Gryffindor-Slytherin house feud. I'm going to admit this here. My Hufflepuff brain is scrambled eggs right now trying to understand this. Uh, Even my Slytherin brain is. <laughs> yeah, but... um. Yeah, I remember Tyler sharing some thoughts that I think are related to this sort of train of thought. Um, I see you shaking your head, Micah, so maybe you remember, but I think it um mm-hmm. I think it relates to a lot of the history around the Chamber of Secrets and around the founders kind of being the stuff of legends. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of primary source historical evidence for any of it. So I think Tyler's assertion was that the depictions of Slytherin's ideologies are very much something that are kind of the result of centuries of retelling and adding to the story and the legend around the Chamber of Secrets. So it's kind of hard to know what actually happened. Although at the end of the day, there was still a Chamber of Secrets with a basilisk in it that hunted down Muggleborns. So I think I think that's the major issue is that there was still a chamber created and there was still a monster that could purge the school of anybody who was not a pure blood. But I do think it's very interesting to think back to the time in which this all transpires and maybe how Slytherin was raised and what Slytherin experienced in wizarding society in terms of how non-magical individuals treated the wizarding world and was his were his actions a response to that i'm not advocating for him one way or another but i think we always have to remember the time in which something occurs and kind of the thoughts um amongst people at those times in particular right regardless of what we're talking about so slytherin may have felt that he was doing what was right based upon his own experiences. Yeah. It's almost like the the context of the time sort of being adopted in a modern day pure blood ideology sense that maybe just wouldn't be recognizable to somebody who lived in Slytherin's time or in the founder's time, right? Yeah, exactly. A couple hundred years later, it seems wild to have that kind of thought process but back in the day it definitely wasn't i mean there are comparisons we could 
draw certainly to, um, you know, our own experiences. So this is something that we've talked about with relation to the Hogwarts student body population. Mm -hmm. It always seems like, you know, we've heard that Hogwarts tends to have a thousand students, but when we start doing the math, it ain't mathing because we think about how many students are in Harry's year and how many we know to be in his dormitory. And if you assume those numbers roughly across the board, it does not, not 1000 make. Um, So this uh, theory points out a potential explanation for that in saying Harry's year at Hogwarts would have been conceived in the middle of a war at a dangerous time where I imagine a lot of people would decide to postpone kids until they could give them a safer life. Conversely, the year below Ginny's had a crap load of kids with birthdays right around July 24th. And that kind of makes sense. Timeline based, right? If Voldemort falls at the end of October, people, you know, they have their fall of love. Fall of love. After, after instead of the summer of love, the fall of love after Voldemort is defeated. Yeah. And, and I mean, we know from history that Baby booms happen after wars, right? right? There's a whole generation named for right. it. So it it does make a certain amount of sense. It does. That Harry's year would be a smaller population. Yeah. I, I think also when you just start playing it out more, like you think about, I, I, I just feel like it was never properly conceived in terms of the number, no pun intended, in terms of the number of students at Hogwarts it's like I feel like Hogwarts Legacy is one of the only official entities that's done it right like you walk in the common room and you go to the dormitory area and there's like tons of rooms there but you never really hear about that in the books or see it in the movies so that's where I get hung up it's like it just doesn't seem like the school's designed for a thousand students yeah and you never get the impression it's never like a thousand students showed up at the Quidditch pitch for the big game like I don't know. It's just yeah. I would say maybe it's actually half that 500 if if I'm trying to put a number on it in the books. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, My head counted now to your point, Andrew, goes to Hogwarts Legacy just because yeah. to me that feels right. But I also understand in writing the series and making the movies, you can't have a school of thousand kids. It just doesn't work. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, other fantasy series where we go to schools, we don't see every single student that goes there. It'd be impossible, but one would imagine that there's far more students there than we actually, you know, get a chance to see. So, and I guess while the books are very, 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 very well mapped out, even from the beginning of them being written, you can't get everything. And maybe Rowling just thought this isn't going to matter. And in fairness, she didn't know how big this would blow up, but maybe she just felt it wasn't necessary. There wouldn't be people talking about this book 25, 30 years later. I'm referring to the first book and, you know. Joke's on her. Well, perfect example is think about Puffs, right? You're seeing what's going on from the perspective of the Hufflepuffs during Harry's time at Hogwarts. And Presumably, you could do that in every house for multiple groups of students in multiple years. 
It's just that we don't have the time to be able to see it. It's just not possible. But there are examples. Somebody just mentioned Quidditch. Yeah, maybe that was an opportunity for her to have shown more of the size and scope of the student body. The right. Triwizard Tournament would have been another one. Right. Um, and, you know, presumably Hogwarts has space for two other schools to, <laughs> to, to join them. Uh, in Harry's fourth year, I know they stay kind of in their own. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, places, but they do take classes. So, yeah, and, and I, I like the idea of the school expanding and shrinking depending on occupancy. And some people are are yeah. trying to map it or math it out. And Justin said, "What is there? Six kids per gender per year per house, so forty eight per year, three hundred thirty six total." Uh, Trent thought ten per year, which seems low. But I, I guess we'd have to. I, it's exclusive. I Remember that. And it's funny because like there yeah. also could have been hints during the sorting ceremony. Like there were 40 people to sort today, implying 40 new people each year, 50, 100, whatever. Yeah. Maybe I, I, we just never got anything like that. I don't think. Otherwise, we'd be using that as a point of reference. No. Yeah. And Kyle is pointing out that. We never get explicit confirmation of how many students are in the years above and below Harry, Ron, and Hermione. So that's kind of where this theory comes from, that maybe their class is smaller just because of the time they were conceived. It was in the middle of a war and that maybe there was a baby boom after the war and there are more students in the younger years. Boom! Movie reference. Very, very vague. I really like this next one, though. Yeah. Do you want to read it, Micah? Sure. I'm all for this. Dumbledore, from time to time, uses his ability to go invisible to sneak around the castle at night to watch the kids' shenanigans, having a good giggle. (laughs) Did I write this? I like to imagine that when Harry... I, I almost imagine that this this is your Reddit username. Uh, I like to imagine that when Harry finds the mirror of Erised and that time he brings Ron to see it too, the noise in the other room slash corridor they hear isn't in fact Mrs. Norris slash Filch's wife, but Dumbledore making a small noise so that the kids are warned that the cat is approaching. <laughs> yeah. I do love yeah, this. Yeah, honestly, I could buy into this. I would declare this one canon for sure. Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 agreed. Because that's just Dumbledore's personality. Hoo-hoo. And Andrew, I know you joked, but you have made a point on episodes previously that Dumbledore is just like, He's around. He's just watching it all go down because he loves the drama. Yes. I mean, this seems like some good mid-journey content. Some AI art with Dumbledore kicking back and uh, uh, watching on his screens, his security screens, all the shenanigans going on. Yeah. Well, and Dumbledore also tells Harry in Sorcerer's Stone that he doesn't need an invisibility cloak to become invisible so oh yeah there you go it is established that he does do this right from time to time so that's a good one I think it is canon. Be a good one um this one is very apropos to like current times but also the conversations we've had about lycanthropy on the show uh teddy lupin's blood will be studied by unspeakables because of the extreme rarity of his genes metamorph magus plus sleeping werewolf heritage like bill 
like Bill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, leading to a real possibility of functional of a functional vaccine for werewolves. Yeah. I love this idea. And it's so tragic because it's too late for so many. Know, so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, drawing a comparison between lycanthropy and HIV um, and AIDS, there's now, you know, the medicine that can really effectively change what living with HIV and AIDS means, um, especially with early detection mm-hmm. and can really, really get that down to where it's not life threatening anymore. That's how far we've come. Uh, so this idea of, you know, the future generations not needing to worry about werewolf um transformations is really hopeful yeah and we see this in the real world right i mean there are medical advancements happening all the time and it's you know it's always so encouraging but it is tragic for the people who you know the timing didn't work out and they're not able to benefit from it right Mm -hmm. um and then one last one to leave you with some sads (laughs) Uh, everyone who survived the Battle of Hogwarts can see festivals Aww. now. That means they had to see no. somebody die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, presumably, if you survived the Battle of Hogwarts, yep. you saw someone die. Hey, I mean, you know, I'd rather have that than be dead. So yeah, I guess that's I'll, I'll yeah. take it. Not sad in my book. All right. I, I'm a survivor. We need to pick up the mood before we go here. I have four little quick fun ones. All right. I'm just going to read them off. These yeah. comes from Tumblr. <laughs> uh, somebody named Trans Tonks. Nah, man, just imagine Tonks during her years at Hogwarts making herself look like Dumbledore for no reason other than to confuse the hell out of other students by plopping down next to them and asking them weird ass questions like if they've ironed their socks in the last week and then walking away. <laughs> To which somebody has said, imagine Dumbledore realizing she's doing it and joining in so that sometimes there are two Dumbledores talking to one student. <laughs> this reminds me of Hogwarts Legacy. I won't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. My task. My favorite I love mission. That yeah. yeah, it's a very cool mission. Uh, here's one from Lycanthropuns, Sirius shouting, Loop in every time Remus walks in the room and loop out. Every time Remus leaves. <laughs> totally could see that. Yeah. Just fun little, this is what headcanon is in its best, is like little things that probably definitely happened, but we have no proof. Um, here's another one from Sirius to Lupin. Wow, Remus, you really wolfed down your lunch today. Uh, cool. That's definitely um, uh, akin to what we see them joking openly about their uh, nicknames for each other during the Owls. And here's the last one. This one comes with an image drawing. It's very, very funny. Uh, James Potter epically losing a Quidditch match and refusing to come out from under the invisibility cloak. So somebody, I assume, serious <laughs> is going James, and then from under the cloak, you just see, you hear no. Um, the idea that he would hide himself away from the world if he didn't uh, perform 100% perfectly. Nice. Very cool. All right. Well, I think we will wrap it up there. That was fun. Laura, thanks for yeah. leading that. I mean, we could do many installments of this. Fun. Just yeah, this, we this could. is good. Yeah, it's could speculate about this stuff all day. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, Bye y'all.